Hey folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time now. Hopefully during the 2017 season, you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field, the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field, the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club. Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, We've been in there for other functions, and certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity and will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, it's a great all-around venue for anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, Seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed now. If you want more info, go to fsuclubseats.com or fsuchampionsclub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. You are running out of Christmas shopping days. This is a public service announcement. Keith, I'm looking at you. Done. Then you better look back at me. (laughs) Some of us need to get started. (laughs) How are you, sir? I'm doing well, doing well. Merry Christmas to you, our listeners. And yeah, uh, I, uh, I am done with the Christmas shopping. I have some wrapping to do, but the acquisition part has been accomplished. Well, good for you. And that's extensive in your household because you have nine grandbabies. Uh, you and I spent uh, time together this past weekend in Tampa for men's basketball. We were together last week after Willie Taggart's press conference. But I feel like we haven't sat here in the studio and done a show together in a while. It has been a while. And, oh, by the way, I have not and will not be getting you a Christmas present. So you can take that off your list. That's, your company that's is fine. present enough. That's fine. I, I appreciate that. I'm still ecstatic. I mean, I, I, we, we, uh, we taped our show last week, uh, actually in the Champions Club immediately after, uh, the, the Taggart press conference and, um, had, had unanswered questions then, have other, uh, questions that haven't been answered. We'll get to a few of those today and others will, will reveal themselves in the weeks and months to come. But, um, so, so, well, so far, so good. Uh, I can't, I, like we talked about after the press conference, I can't think of anything that's been a misstep yet. I think the only disappointment, uh, and we didn't know if it was going to come to fruition uh, at all, is the uh, anticipation that he would be bringing Levitt and Cristobal with him as defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, respectively. And uh, what did Oregon do? Uh, they hired Cristobal as their permanent head coach, so you can't uh, can't fault them for that. Can't fault him for that, and Willie will have to go to Plan B as it uh, regards uh, offensive coordinators. If that was in fact his plan, if, if, exactly. If that in fact was his plan. Well, here's the thing about that: both those guys want to be head coaches. Cristobal now is at Oregon. Had he come here, he would have been vying to be a head coach, and you would have been changing that position next year anyway. Levitt, I think that's less likely just because of an age standpoint. I do think we'll find something out. Oregon plays its bowl game this Saturday, 3.30, for those of you that have been pining for college football, the Las Vegas Bowl. And which, by the way, we need to get that into the ACC. That rotation. needs to be in the rotation. Yeah, that, the Hawaii. I mean, we need to have the Bahamas Bowl. We got to have some conversations. We got to take Detroit, Shreveport, El Paso. We got to get them out of the ACC mix and let's replace them. Maybe we can them. just trade them five years on, five years off, five years on, five years off. Actually, you joke, but I do think that would help with bowls if they sort of had some agreement where, you know, you're tired of going to Charlotte this year. Let's change it up. Kind of like what they do with the tax slayer in Nashville. You get Jacksonville, you get Nashville, whatever. Anyway, I digress. The point to this is Oregon plays its bowl game this weekend. After that is when we'll find out, I would suspect, which Oregon coaches are going to join Willie Taggart. We may not know right in the post-game press conference, but in the 24 to 48 hours afterwards, I would surmise we're going to know for sure about Levitt, and there's two or three or four other guys on that staff that are going to come join Willie here. How about the latest news that hit this morning? Chris Winkie? Nope. Um, the new offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Is? Daryl Dickey. Oh, yes. That's a different Daryl Dickey than was here, though. I saw that news yesterday. It's not the same Daryl Dickey. It's not? It's not the same Daryl Dickey. Are you sure? I am sure. Well, then this is I'll withdraw discussed. my thought process for the last couple of hours. You'll withdraw the tone. Oh, yes, my yes, goodness. Yes, yes. 
Because if that's the old Daryl, no, Dickey, no, no, it's not. So I mean, if you look, thank at, you for clarifying. Yes, if you look at Jimbo right now, he's got uh, he's brought Jay Graham with him. He's brought Tim Brewster with him. He's brought Damian Craig with him. Mark Robinson, the director of football operations from FSU, has gone on, and then we've got a lot of guys still in limbo. I don't know where Lawrence Dossie's going to end up. I was all but told from a pretty good source that he was moving on and potentially going to Texas A&M too. He's been on the road recruiting with Willie Taggart, and obviously he's a Florida State guy. His son is here as a walk-on. Coach Taggart talked about it being sort of an evaluation process for him. So maybe uh, if there's a relationship there, maybe he stays there in, is, some, in some capacity. There is a published report that he is staying on as a quality control person. Right, that's I don't know if I mean. that's true or not, but not on the field. He will be behind Right, that's scenes. what I mean in some capacity. So we'll see. Uh, no, the reports in terms of uh, quarterback coach, the Chris Winkie's name has come up. There was uh, 24 hours where he was joining Jeremy Pruitt on the Vol staff, and then quickly that's turned into he's not joining Jeremy Pruitt because he's looking at other options, including Florida State. Uh, so that would be interesting. Um, but I do think we'll get some clarity on that after this weekend, at least uh, for, for a good majority of the staff. Maybe not entirely. You and I don't follow recruiting. That's, that's not our thing. However, just uh, periphery, uh, it seems that uh, some of the decommits have recommitted. It seems that some of the uh, don't know have committed, and seems that there's a whole bunch of people don't know still what they're going to do. So I think that that's very fluid. But as you and I have talked, a I'm not worried about this recruiting class. That'll take care of itself in the months and years going forward. But B, uh, obviously you've seen Coach Taggart hit the road and hit it hard in terms of um, uh, getting back out in front of the kids. And this year, there's the unknown variable, the early signing right. period, which there's a lot of – it's speculation at this point. Some reports have said that schools are acting or expecting this to become like the February signing day. They think they're going to sign everybody that's verbally committed. Uh, others are more sort of wait and see. I, I, I would be surprised if it becomes a pattern where every verbal commit ends up signing. But if we think back to why they created this early signing day, really it was to – go ahead and let kids enjoy their senior year if they're going to stay around. Like, go ahead and get done with this, get done with this. And there will be some that will do that. There are some that are passionate about where they're going. They've been committed forever. I just think that there's some five stars that are going to continue to play the game and and not go ahead and sign, which Willie Taggart is hoping, obviously, anybody that's on the fence or he's got a sliver of a chance, he's saying, guys, just wait till February. Let's let, give me some more time here. Yeah, and, and, and I've, I personally, and, and we've had this conversation with Coach Fisher, I've not had it with Coach Taggart, but a majority of the coaches are very much in favor of the early signing period, but they don't like the December signing period. Yeah, they wanted it in August. They wanted it in August. So it may go along here a year or two, limp along, it may get changed, it may not, who knows. But you're exactly right. We don't know what to expect because it's never been attempted before. Yeah, so it's next Wednesday, actually, December 20th to 22nd, and we'll see. Uh, Yeah, and if you think about it, if you're trying to let a kid enjoy a senior year, well, a lot of these kids are done with their senior year of football, and if they're early enrollees, you didn't give them an opportunity to enjoy their senior year, so to speak, without the recruiting benefit. And, and for me, enjoying my senior year would have entailed, even 35, 38 years ago for me personally, not being harassed during the season. Right. That's what I mean. So <laughs> it's like everything in college football. Eventually, the playoff will expand, but we couldn't go right to six or eight. We had to start at four. So now we've got an early signing period. We couldn't move it all the way to the summer. So we moved it to December, which I'm not really sure. It, One step, two step, baby it, steps, learn to crawl, learn to walk, learn to run. It's definitely made things a little more interesting in light of a coaching transition at FSU. But uh, I would agree. Coach Taggart, um, seems to be off to a good start we're going to hear from coach taggart uh next week on this program i've had a chance to sit down and do a one-on-one interview with him and uh, we will have that for you uh next week a little bit about his uh, football philosophy uh and whatnot so that is coming up and by then we'll probably have some some more questions answered about the rest of his coaching staff as i just mentioned and uh 30 seconds of uh kudos to uh fam with their new uh head coach hire uh local kid uh, and I think uh, I think they've had a very very good made a very very good choice uh, in their hire, and uh, we'll wish them well. And I've been around long enough that I covered him when he played high school ball. So that was back in my twenty seven. I've been around long enough. I watched him play high school ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will uh, talk more about uh, the state of Florida State football and Willie Taggart and the start he's off to. Of course, our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefeld is coming up. We do have some uh, basketball to get to because. Rankings. All this football talk. We're a basketball school. There you go. Florida State, one of six remaining unbeatens on the men's side. The women are still unbeaten. 
Things are looking up as uh, we creep closer to the conference portion of the schedule. Uh, All that and much more is still to come. It is your favorite day of the week and your favorite hour of the day. And we are just getting started here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you, and we fire up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to an old friend from back in the day, a uh, a legend of sorts around these parts, J.P. Peterson from down in Tampa. J.P., how are you? What, are you talking about Clyde? <laughs> hey, I wasn't going to volunteer anything. You're incriminating yourself your, now. Your better explanation, Tommy, would be he's, he's a figment of his own imagination. <laughs> there you go. There you go. JP and I worked <laughs> together at, uh, at Channel 27. Obviously, FSU fans know him. He was involved in the Seminole Radio Network for a number of years. Now the co-host of the Ron and JP Show on 620 WDAE in Tampa. You doing all right, JP? I'm well. well I'm at, I've been trapped at the baseball winter meetings for the entire week, but it's like a... Uh, you know, baseball and Star Wars mixed together, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I understand. Uh, a lot of analytical people around here. and um, But it's fun. I actually uh, interviewed Kevin Cash, obviously, former Seminole, and Eduardo Perez. So we were uh, reminiscent about our old FSU baseball days and all just hoping that 11 will get that World Series. It's coming. You it's know, coming. If you could write a, a script... Like a movie script. It's you, set up. You would go ahead and set it up for this year because he's going to get the all-time wins record this year and then just have him go to Omaha and win one and, and uh, cash it in from there, right? I mean, if we can make that's that happen. What, that's, what we've been waiting, that's what he's been waiting for. He, he, you know, he's put it off for a little while. I just wanted to do it all in one year, so I think that's smart, yeah. Yeah, Hollywood will jump on that <laughs> script. Uh, we didn't call you yeah. to talk about uh, Omaha and baseball seminals. We called, uh, actually, to pick your brain about uh, some football seminals now because you've been in the Tampa area for years. So uh, you know Coach Willie Taggart from his USF days. And obviously, everybody in Tallahassee is pretty excited about the change. Uh, I'm curious your take, having seen USF and what he did there, and, and knowing Taggart and his philosophy a little bit. Well, you know, Willie um, actually did a, he did a great job here, and he turned around a program that was you know it didn't have a whole lot of uh, talent at one point. He went out and put together some good recruiting classes, um, and, and I think recruiting is where it's going to be for for Willie Taggart. And I think, you know, obviously recruiting at Florida State as a head coach is way different than recruiting at USF as a head coach. He's got, you know, that spear on the helmet and all that goes with it means a lot, obviously, as you all know. And and I think you get you give Willie Taggart his personality, the way he connects with young men and their mothers, uh, it's very similar to, you know, what Coach Bowden did. You know, Coach Bowden Early in his career was a great ball coach. We all know that. And he, he did everything to promote the program. But, you know, what Bobby did was bring in the great players. And he won in the living room, and that transferred out onto the onto the football field. And I think if Willie surrounds himself with some great coaches, and um, I, I'm still hoping that Jim Levitt is coming. Um, I, I don't know what you guys are hearing up there, but uh, that would be a huge piece because he's a defensive savant. And if Willie can surround himself with some great coaches – I think you know he can he can put that model back together in a modern day because he is such a great communicator. He's sincere, and more than anything, which is different than when he was at USF, this is the job he wants forever. Uh, and I really feel like this this is a guy that's going to stay at FSU a long time as long as he's successful. So in that sense, and that's how I know Willie as a person. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the greatest X's and O's guy. Um, but I think he manages people about just just about as good as anybody in this game, and I think he connects with people. So that's what I love. The the inevitable compare and contrast is going to occur between Coach uh, uh, Taggart and Coach uh, Fisher, but one of the things that jumps out back to your comment would would ask you to expand upon is is the ability to manage people and not, in, in Jimbo's case, not micromanage, 
but go back to the Bowden philosophy of hiring good people, surrounding yourself with good people, and let yep. them do their job. Exactly. That's it, Keith. You nailed it. And that's what I think Willie is really good at. He, he can, And he can connect with everybody. I mean, from all walks of life. I think it's a special gift that he has. And and he, there's a sincerity to Willie Taggart. And, and I know he gets a bad rap because he's moved now three places. And I, But, you know, if you really break it down, how is he going to really refuse that opportunity at, at Oregon? And this was a, uh, and as you saw in the press conference, a very emotional decision. And I think, you know, from a national standpoint, for people that don't know Willie, they could see, uh, just look at the results, uh, but not, but ignore the process and the opportunities that happen. So I, I see a sincerity in Willie Taggart that, Frankly, I didn't see in Jimbo Fisher. Well, and, okay. and to speak to that, and I agree with you, to speak to that, there's one thing to try to project something. There's another yeah. thing when you're transparent and people can yeah. see something. Well, and I, you know, I had some dealings with Jimbo Fisher, not as much as you guys. And, you know, I, I never got the warm and fuzzies like I get from Billy Taggart. I never got the feeling that I was, you know, it, it just seemed, always seemed agenda driven with Jimbo and you know we thank him for all he did but uh, I think this is you know when you look at the situation right now I think we've got a much better coach in terms of managing people and being successful in all the things that it takes to be a head coach at this level now and I think a lot of it is like you said Keith it's a lot more about managing assistant coaches recruiting managing your relationships with the alumni how about that or or administration Yeah, there's so much. It's such big business now. There's so much that comes into it. And if you want to be an autocrat and say it's my way or the highway and this is how things are going to get done, eventually you're going to burn a lot of bridges and things are going to go south. And he is Exhibit A. I want to go back to your comment about Jim Levitt. So first, as we're recording, uh, I think everybody here still expects that he's coming. I don't have confirmation of that. Uh, Oregon's bowl game is Saturday. I think we'll know something after that because I don't think he's allowed to comment on anything, nor nor should he at this point. Um, He's a defensive savant, but I'm going to bring up something that the media is going to bring up uh, if and when he's hired, and that is when he left USF, uh, there were allegations that he struck a player and it got a little nasty there, and ultimately he settled yeah. with the university. Now, now subsequent to that, he's coached in the pros. He coached at Colorado. He coached at Oregon. So obviously people have vetted him. If he comes to FSU, this will be the third institution he's worked at since USF. But having been down there and covered that, uh, was that smoke? Was there more to it? Uh, what can you? T- what, what light can you shed on that? I know, I know everything about this particular incident, to be quite honest with you, from a lot of different sides. And I'm going to tell you this. Things happen in, in football games, uh, and Jim is a very emotional coach. Um, you know, he, he had he butts with his linebackers while they still have helmets on. Uh, so he and and sometimes, you know, well, I didn't want to even say sometimes. In, in a moment, there may have been something that happened with a player that probably has happened a lot. And I'm not. He, it's not like you know, Jim knocked the kid out. It was more of a shaking incident and and the the problem was how it was handled how it was handled from an administrative standpoint and frankly how jim handled some things afterwards he could have done a better job the administration could have done a better job it went down you know it got reported in the press and it kind of got it it took on a life of its own and things just got so out of whack that the administration felt like they had to do something and they didn't really and it could it should have been held uh, kept you know like a team thing this is what happened we apologize you know, and handled internally, and, and just I'm sure things like this have happened a thousand times in football situations. So, and and that's what happened. Jim is not he's a he's a great guy. He's an unbelievable coach. He brings an intensity, an intelligence, and and I know him personally. I've known him for a long time, and he's a wonderful man. And that's why teams hire him. That's why they want him on their staff. They've vetted him, and he was cleared by the in civil court, by the way. So everything that happened there. It, 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 to me, never should have blown up that big. He's a great guy and a great coach. And I, I, honestly, he deserves to be a head coach again somewhere, in my opinion. Well, and he wants that. And, I, you know, age may is working against him at this point, but we'll see if he gets that opportunity. In terms of on-field and his philosophy, is it fair to compare him to, uh, from an FSU fan standpoint, to a Mickey Andrews? I mean, he's going he, to play a man. Go ahead. 
<laughs> you can you can understand almost everything he says. You know, with Mickey, sometimes it was like I keep you with no, and then, so would you, Tom. Like. I'm not sure what he just said, but I think it was really good. Well, I'm not talking uh, about their verbiage so much as uh, their <laughs> philosophies on the field. Yes, yes. You know, Jim is a, he's an attack mode guy. And he, um, you know, one of the things I loved about Mickey is he would, he would trust his players. You know, he would let them, you know, he would let them play man-to-man coverage. He would let, you know, he'd get after people. And, he, and Jim has a really good feel of what guys can do and can't do. He also has an excellent eye for defensive talent. I think that's in developing talent. That's one of the things that Jim did did at USF, and I saw it up close. You know, some of those players are, you know, he would take two and three star players, and by the end of the end of their career, you know, they're getting drafted in the NFL. And that's not just because he spotted great. He can spot the talent, then he develops the talent, teaches them how to play with an intensity and an intelligence that I think a lot of coaches miss out on. So. I think that's what he brings. I think Mickey did the same thing. He had a great eye for talent and putting guys in certain positions for them to to really thrive and 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 make good adjustments in the, in the game too. So, you know, he he brings a lot of that. Very similar to, to Mickey. JP, I, I know you're 250 miles away, but I know your affinity and, and love for this program. What what are you hearing on the offensive side? Obviously, the the initial rumors was the uh, uh, coach Cristobal would come and. Oregon won up one up to everybody and hired him as their hired him as their new head coach. Uh, what do you see? What do you hear on the offensive coordinator side of of Taggart's uh, tree as it is? You know what? I haven't I haven't heard much to be honest with you, Keith. I, I have not heard much on the offensive side. Um, I, I would think that what that tells me is there's probably a coach uh, that's involved in a bowl game that they have their eye on that they're going to uh, cherry pick afterwards. So um, I, I would think there's a line, you know. <laughs> As long as the uh, the free buffet line here at the baseball winter meetings to get get that job as the OC at Florida State, so I, I can't shed a whole lot of light on it. But I I think they're going to get somebody good because a lot of people want to work at Florida State, and, and a lot tell you this: a lot of people love to work with Willie because he does let them do do their thing. Yeah, no, I, it seems to be. Uh, I mean, you're echoing from afar everything we've thought. Uh, from close by since seeing it. What are we, day eight? <laughs> yeah, we're eight we're days in. Day eight, but, I mean, he won the press conference and uh, the little bit of time I've spent with him. He's definitely charismatic and personable. And, and that, he, hadn't, he hadn't slept in probably three days, you know. <laughs> Dirk Cutter might be in need of a job soon. <laughs> well, so that's where I was going to go. And, actually, I, we'll, we'll save a Jameis conversation for the off season, But uh, I will let you go on this. Is Are, are the Bucks going to have the same head coach next year or no? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think these last three games actually mean a lot because I think Jameis has shown some improvement post-injury, but um, you want to talk about an awkward situation. John Gruden is going to be here Monday night going into the Ring of Honor, and he's calling the game, and he's been mentioned prominently as the next coach to replace Dirk Cutter. Can you imagine what the production meeting is going to be like when Cutter and his coaching staff walk in to meet with the Monday night football staff? Well, and John Gruden but- is sitting right there. JP, by then Gruden will have replaced Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee as the Vols head coach. You know the way this works. <laughs> the job he was supposed to have that he didn't yeah, want, like and then when they times, got somebody, now they replaced yeah, exactly. him. How about the missing signature on Chiano's uh, MOU for $27 million? Ah. Whoop. JP, uh, yeah, but you know, at least college athletics is small dollars. You're down there covering winter baseball, where guys sign for four years and two hundred mil. So, I mean, you're where the real money is. Congratulations! Really? <laughs> I heard somebody just got seventy five million uh, to coach in college, and, and then another guy's making eleven and a half up in Alabama. So, I was be- I was being facetious. You missed the hashtag sarcasm there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we're the when the Rays are involved, yeah, there's absolutely zero. <laughs> I, I just interviewed their poor uh, general manager who's uh, you know shopping at, at, at Walmart while everybody else is shopping at Gucci. Whatever. <laughs> hey, you can call Walmart now, and, and uh, they'll j- just drive up, and they'll hand you what you ordered. You don't even have to go in anymore, so that's a win. Uh, maybe that's, no, how the, that's how the Rays do it. The part of going to Walmart is going in. <laughs> See everybody. Come on now. Come on now. All right, we we have digressed. JP, get back to the baseball winter meetings. We'll talk to you in the off season about Jameis and right, Dark guys, or whatever. Enjoy it. You guys are the best. The Merry time. Christmas and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you, JP Peterson. Uh, I worked with him at Channel Twenty Seven in uh, in the mid nineties. Of course, he was at Twenty Seven longer than that, and uh, he worked with Dave Neal for a number of years. Folks will remember Dave Neal. 
whose dad was uh, obviously a big-time sportscaster and Bob Neal. But Dave has carved his niche as an SEC guy over the years. But uh, I, I took, uh, I guess, the weekend job shortly after Dave departed. JP is, is Speaking of making no money, by the way. Well, uh, JP is one of the guys that has uh, uh, transformed himself from television to radio and, and done much better things with it than maybe one Keith Jones or Tom Block have done so far, so far, so far. He's made a career out of it, is what you're <laughs> suggesting. We'll come back and uh, continue on uh, this week's edition of Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment. I need to remind you folks to uh, head on down to Madison Social. Uh, kudos to Madison Social, by the way. They have jumped on the Willie Taggart train. They actually uh, went ahead and uh, they probably trademarked it and everything, but they own the website tagahassee.com, and that's where they're selling all the shirts that reference Willie Taggart quotes. You going to say them? Such as badasses and war daddies, yes. And they <laughs> and uh, if you don't like that language, then you can get a have a great day koozie. If you want to. If, if you want to. Both have, if you want a koozie and if, if you, you want to have want, a great if day. If you want to. But uh, Madison Social is the official game-watching site of uh, FSU basketball road games, and it's the site of much, much more, as you know. So head on down that way and uh, visit Centrale Township. Check out Sodo in Midtown. We appreciate their support of our program over the last several years uh, now. Lethal simplicity. I still like that phrase. Yes, that's that's Willie Taggart's. Mine is lethally simplistic. Which is what this show is, lethally simplistic. Um, well, the reason you like it, if you think about it, is what's been the frustration of the frustration of fans. And this even goes back to, to Bobby, I think. Remember Bobby was the riverboat gambler, trick plays. Then once you get better talent. You don't have to do as much. You don't have to do as much. But that leaves all of us thinking, but what if you still did? Because every time we play somebody, they're doing tight end throwbacks and halfback passes. And so why don't we still do some of that? And with better players, the results will be even better. Well, all, I, all you got to do is look back. Remember the one that uh, Peter Warwick had? Right. When he changed directions about four different times, literally took about 18 seconds for him to run 20 yards for a touchdown, however far out it was. But, yeah, there's there's something to that. But, I, again, I go back and JP echoed this and what little bit of conversations I've had with people that know Coach Taggart. You know, he, he is a big believer in hiring coordinators and letting them do their job. And while it may be – one side somewhat of a criticism to say he's not the best X and O guy. I'm not sure your head coach is supposed to be an X and O guy in today's environment. I think a, a coach that's an X and O guy may be missing the mark. And we've had the conversation here. And, and, and again, those comparisons are going to continue, and we're going to talk about them next year, particularly over the summer when we don't have any real football to talk about, that you know, Jimbo would be so concerned about what was going on with the offense, he could lend nothing to the defense. And very little to special teams in terms of setting things up or making comments, and that uh, the, you know the coaching staff was particularly on the offensive side was scared to death to make any suggestions or raise any questions or say, "Coach, that's not what we should be doing," or "Should we try something else?" Nobody, to our knowledge, was ever in a position to do that or felt comfortable doing that. And all the way back to, to JB's comment about you know just how you handle the media, uh, you know having that agenda driven versus being transparent. You know when somebody's transparent. You get a good idea of who they are as a person. And and although it was just one press conference, uh, there was transparency in, in that press conference. And you saw Coach Taggart being who t- Coach Taggart is. And I'm sorry, even if you disagree with his decisions, it's a whole lot easier to be uh, warm and fuzzy to someone that's being himself as opposed to someone who's always on that freaking agenda. He's night and day different than Jimbo, and obviously we're in the honeymoon period, and we will be until he loses a game. And he knows that, and he said, hey, I haven't lost a game I'm yet. undefeated. Uh, you know, so right now, as people remember the Jimbo era, they're looking back at plays that didn't work, like the tunnel screen, which he ran for 11 years and netted minus six yards probably cumulatively. 
there will be plays in Willie Taggart's playbook that we'll see and in time we'll say, I don't know why we run that. And there will be things that Willie Taggart does that people will say, you know, in hindsight, especially once you remove the emotion, Jimbo actually did a better job at that. So we got we got to be fair here on this. But I do think there's an awful lot of upside with him. And I'm anxious to see what the coaching staff is, as I mentioned in the first segment. I think we'll know more after this game. When you look at who has been with him, if you take the time, you can just go to the Oregon uh, official athletics website. And uh, we don't have a... a ducks.com insider or whatever the website is we just have seminoles.com but no if you look at the coaching bios you can see there's a couple of guys that have been with them at western kentucky and at usf and at oregon so it's not a big leap not a stretch not a stretch to assume that they're coming too and those guys one of them would be raymond woody who's the uh, outside linebacker and defensive ends coach and special teams coordinator at oregon right now uh another one would be dante pimpleton who was a teammate of taggart's at western kentucky um so those are two that are probably coming if you say levitt's coming uh and then you kind of get into the fsu circle and i don't have anything concrete on any of this we mentioned chris winky could come maybe uh and be a quarterback coach although remember taggart was a quarterback sean king's name has been floated out there as well not an fsu connection but former bucks quarterback but but ron dugan's name has been out there he's from tallahassee he worked with taggart at usf Seems like that would be a natural uh, connection. Ron played at FAMU High, and speaking of J.P. Peterson, I was probably working with J.P. I know that I covered Ron Dugan's signing from FAMU High to Florida State back in the day. I have Ron Dugan's, as I've told our listener, I have Ron Dugan's practice helmet in my office at the Earl Bacon Agency. Well, he's on line two, and he'd like it back. If, if he comes, I'll give it to him. And then uh, another former Noel, or two other former Noles. Of course, everybody's assumed Odell will stay on staff. And then Terrell Buckley's name has been mentioned out there. Terrell has been at Mississippi State the last couple of years, but you recall when he retired from the NFL, he was here with Jimbo as a strength coach or quality control coach, whatever it was, for a few years. Getting so, his feet wet. Getting his feet wet. So we'll see. We'll know more about all that. Uh, and he's coached at Louisville, too. So he's coached he's, with two very headstrong head coaches. Yes, he's coached at Louisville as well. So uh, anxious to see how it all shakes out, and it, it'll be fun. Um, you know what I have not done yet, Keith? Because I'm going to leave this for Jeff Cameron, by the way, too, who has not had great things to say about the city of Shreveport. I'm just going to disclose a couple things here. First of I'm all, a- I'm anxious to hear. I'm probably the only person associated with FSU that was okay with going to Shreveport for the bowl game. I didn't have a problem with it. Only I be- just didn't know where it was. I was originally going to drive. Then you looked at I'm map. not very good at, at geometry or maps. Yeah, don't drive. No. Anyway, the point is my wife has family there. So for the blocks, it, it worked out okay. But uh, I, I, I printed out 49 things you probably didn't know about Shreveport. Here we go. Number seven, Shreveport has the highest property taxes in the state of Louisiana. So if the corruption in that state is not enough, you can move to Shreveport and pay higher taxes than everywhere else. Uh, To your point about geography and maps and angles, Shreveport is actually a shorter drive to Dallas than it is to New Orleans. It's like two and a half hours to Dallas or the Metroplex area there. It's five hours to New Orleans. Uh, this one's one for uh, our producer, Matthew. Many of the exterior scenes in the hit HBO series True Blood were filmed on a plantation near Shreveport. Uh, O.J. Simpson's defense attorney, the late Johnny Cochran, born in Shreveport. I mean, if these kind of factoids don't want to make you go to the bowl game now, of course, you and I will be there December 27th, two weeks from today, Florida State. And Southern Miss, and, and and you know, I think about it. My history is, we played Southern Miss in football just about every year. Obviously, um, uh, there was a connection through the Metro Conference way back when for the other than football sports. But I, I played at their at their stadium. Uh, they were they came here our our, our uh, junior year. We were losing to Southern Miss, and Gary Henry returned a punt for a touchdown, and that preserved the win, which became our undefeated season. Uh, you know, I, I have great memories of, of playing against them. And, and then in the years in the 90s before Florida State joined the ACC, there were other matches. And, you know, it, uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting rivalry if you pay attention to it. Maybe not on a national scale, but it's had some significance. Yeah, there's there's some history. So here's an interesting thing, though. If you talk about putting into perspective Florida State and the bowl streak and the consecutive winning seasons, there was a time early in this series history where Southern Miss had FSU scheduled as a homecoming opponent. FSU was the homecoming opponent for Southern Miss. So now fast forward 
40 years later. Florida State's won 13 in the last 15. Southern Miss hasn't really moved anywhere. Uh, the one thing that FSU people will point to, though, is the first game in 1989 when Brett Favre beat Florida State on the hottest day in the history of the world in Jacksonville. Well, people forget that Florida State played them in Tallahassee in 88. Yes, I do remember that. And Dion picked six to Brett Favre. And what was significant about that game? Dion picked six to Brett Favre. Even more significant. It was the first time I was ever in Doe Campbell Stadium for a football game. It was the first game that the then Sunshine Network had ever produced in the state of Florida that became Sun Sports. And one Paul Kennedy and Keith Jones called that game. That was going to be like my ninth guess. <laughs> after everything else I just uttered. All right, we'll get to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lenefell, right after this. Sun beat down I the radio Trees went back. Me and Dell were singing. Little runaway. I was flying. Yeah, running down. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. It is time now to welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, to the program. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, it has been a whirlwind couple of weeks in your world, no question. But I know I looked at Seminoles.com earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday, but uh, you've got a, a, a big article sort of uh, encapsulating the first week that is the uh, the Willie Taggart era. Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's- Kind of getting a reaction from some of the players and, and, and their thoughts on their new coach, which was uh, something that we, we weren't able to get uh, certainly after the ULM game uh, because we didn't know what was going on yet. And then the, the following Wednesday was really belonged to, to Willie Taggart, but we were able to talk to some players uh, on Friday and, and, and kind of get their thoughts on the new guy. And surprise, uh, they really like him. Uh, you know, everybody kind of said it just sort of feels like a like a, a, a different uh, a different way of doing things. Uh, you know, feels fresh and, and you know it's kind of. When you say these things, you, you don't feel like you're tap dancing around. And nobody's trying to run down Jimbo Fisher or, or you know what he was able to accomplish or achieve here. But at the same time, uh, there's no way you can look at Willie Taggart and think, man, that, you know, or think anything other than, man, this, this guy's a lot different. It, it's, a, it's a much different approach, much different personality. And I think the players are excited by that. Um, and so uh, some, some pretty cool thoughts from them. Levante Taylor said he was excited to have somebody coming in to bring some swag to the program. Uh, Jock Patrick was talking about how you know he felt like they could really – he said that Coach Taggart shared some of his life experiences and in his history and how he got to this point. He said that it was you know, pretty relatable to the players and how you know they sort of felt like they were listening to themselves talk, you know, or had been through some of the same things. So uh, nothing but positive reviews so far for uh, for, for Willie Taggart and, uh, and his new players. Now again, we'll we'll see how that goes once uh, once spring practice gets going and off season conditioning gets going in a few weeks here. Uh, I suspect by then, you know, maybe he, he won't be quite as popular. But for now, there uh, there is a pretty tangible sense of excitement. Tim, there was some um, tension uh, relative to uh, DeAndre Francois and, and Jimbo uh, that got some media attention. Uh, what do, what do you what's your sense uh, regarding DeAndre and Willie? Uh, you know, I haven't seen DeAndre much. Uh, it, it's been a weird situation with him with with the injury, um, and, and obviously, there's been a lot of talk and speculation on. You know, what's he here for? What's he not here for? What's he been in attendance for? But it, the fact is, I mean, his situation is unique in, in that he's, you know, hasn't been playing and has been recovering from an injury and, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I assume he's happy. Uh, it seems like the uh, the offense that Willie Taggart uh, was going to bring would probably be pretty well suited to, to what DeAndre Francois can do. And, and so that's probably something pretty exciting for him. My guess is, um, based on, you know, what we saw from him on social media and some of the aftermath, is that if you're DeAndre Francois, you probably welcome an opportunity to start fresh with a new coach and a, a, a new coaching staff. Uh, that would be probably my my best guess on that. How's that for a diplomatic answer? Very diplomatic. I, I really do think that, though. It, it seemed, you know, I don't think it's uh, it's, it's too much of a, a leap to say that by the end, and, and you know, using what things that DeAndre said as is, is evidence of this, that and maybe things had soured a little bit. And, you know, kind of, I think, you know, maybe the rest of us have felt, uh, you know, in the bigger picture, too, it's, Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It's just uh, uh, a fresh start is good for everybody. Keith and I haven't talked about Derwin's decision yet to skip the bowl game, but and that's a longer 
debate point that we can get into Keith at another time but obviously Derwin lost a year to injury so I can I can see his side of things but did, did I read correctly that Ermin Lane has already moved on as well is there any backstory to that uh yeah I saw that uh that that tweet I'm not sure uh ex- exactly what he meant by that um I guess it could be uh you know and that's kind of going to be an interesting um interesting thing to see you know which players do and don't I wouldn't be surprised if, if Moore said that they weren't going to play um and you know that's uh that's kind of a personal decision. I know every player uh, that, I mean, I mean, honestly, every player has professional aspirations. Um, and, and certainly for Ehrman, who that's the next thing up for him, if, if he thinks that's the best move for him, um, then that's, uh, I mean, that's kind of his decision. I haven't talked to him about it, though, yet. Um, but, but, yeah, I guess there's, there's another one. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be super shocked if, if others followed in line, too. Well, again, that's a longer discussion. I, I would suggest Ehrman, if that's his aspiration, might be better served to play in the game and get more tape out there. But anyway, uh, going back to Taggart and some of the differences, I know you and I talked maybe last week, uh, and it appears that his offensive and defensive coordinators have been allowed to speak to the media at his previous stops, not that he's announced his policies here. Uh, is he from the school where practice has music blaring from the speakers as you're practicing? Uh, I've even heard that practice may be in the morning instead of the afternoon. So, I mean, we're in for some significant changes here. Yes, yes. I, I have heard the, the same thing about the mornings. Uh, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to, to transition. We need to get, you know, get everybody's schedules aligned and class schedules aligned and all that to, to transition to a new uh, practice schedule because a lot of those things are set pretty far in advance. Uh, but that's, as I understand, is, is what the uh, – what, what the program is working towards to be able to practice in the mornings. Uh, I don't know about the music. Uh, we'll see. You know, Florida State did that a little bit in fall camp, too, now. Uh, so it's not completely uh, – it would be completely different for these guys. But but you're right in that, you know, uh, so many things uh, that you just sort of take for granted or assume that they're going to be the way they are uh, because they've been that way for the last eight years or in some cases 11 years. Uh, and a lot of those things are going to change, you know, whether it's, it's practice schedules, whether it's off-season conditioning, whether it's assistant coaches speaking to the media – uh, so many things that have just been the way they've been for so long, uh, and we just you know you assume that's that way everywhere. Well, it's it's not, and and you know the the head coach's influence uh, stretches pretty far and, and pretty wide, and, and we we all know Jimbo's did, and, and I expect that Willie Taggart's will as well. Uh, I'm sure that was part of you know part of his negotiations was you know he he wants to be the, you know the to be the guy in charge of everything as well and, and do things the way he wants. So uh, there's a lot of things. I'm I'm curious to what's going to change that I don't I'm not even thinking about. You know what I mean? Like we know the practice schedule is probably going to change. I suspect that off-season conditioning will be different than what Florida State is used to. Although you know it's still going to be running and jumping and lifting weights, that sort of thing. But but he'll put his own unique spin on it, um, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's it's an interesting uh, it's just an interesting time to be around here. And and I think it's only going to get more so um, you know in, in the next few weeks and months uh, as we we move closer to spring practice. Well, in those next few weeks and months uh, will reveal themselves. But I'll go back to another number. I'd like to uh, get your reaction to number nineteen. How do you feel about number nineteen? Um, See, that's the transition to men's hoops. They're now ranked nineteenth oh, in the country. Try to keep up. Oh, Try to keep up, Tim. He, I was like, I was like December nineteenth. That's in a few days. I don't he stumped. Know. He stumped both of us. I was looking at him. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I the, even, the, I even the, told the him to ask a question about men's <laughs> basketball and didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel great about it. Uh, I, yeah, sure, but uh, I, I'm glad you brought them up. Uh, it's. Uh, it's kind of I don't know if unfortunate is the word, but the, but the byproduct of, of all the news and football and, and all the, the the excitement too surrounding it is that you know at time this time of year, which is traditionally reserved for checking in on the men's basketball team and seeing how they're doing, uh, you know we maybe it's gotten away from us a little bit. But those guys are off to a really really fantastic start. Um, and I think they're kind of satisfied not not satisfied with where they are, but I think that you know for them, you know I think they this, this group really took to heart all the, uh, the the preseason polls and the predictions and all that that said that. That they weren't going to be any good without Dwayne Bacon or Jonathan Isaac or Xavier or Tam Mays. You know, they were picked to finish in the bottom half of the ACC. I think they, they weren't really included in a lot of, uh, of preseason bracketology or any of that type of stuff. And, you know, they all looked around the room, like, like a lot of teams would, uh, and said, no, we're, we're better than that. And, you know, the, the difference between this, this team and, and most teams that feel that way is that they can actually back it up. Um, and, you know, we've seen, I think, maybe. Uh, a more traditional Leonard Hamilton style of team, in, in, at least in, in construct, in that, you know, whereas the last few years with, uh, you know, go back to Malik Beasley or, or Dwayne Bacon or Jonathan Isaac, you know, they've been sort of uh, led and dominated by, by five star freshmen. Well, now we're back to a situation where you're leaning on guys like Terrence Mann, who's a junior with a lot of experience, or leaning on CJ Walker or Trent Forrest, players who they're, they're only sophomores, but, you know, they played a bunch last year, or even Brian Angola, who's 
in his second year, but as a senior and as an experienced player and a mature player. So um, it's, a, it's a really fun group to watch, Keith. I think you can attest to that. Um, and I think what's, you know, what's really interesting about them is you know, a lot of teams, like when, when there's not a single superstar type of player, like a, you know, a lottery pick type of player, they all like to say, well, you know, we think we have lots of, of heroes and, and that it could be any, anybody on a different given night. And, and when most teams say that, uh, you know, the, the natural tendency is to say, yeah, okay, sure. But with this team, it really has, has borne itself out, right? You know, uh, you know Terrence Mann has had a, a great couple of games. Brian Angola has been able to lead them in scoring. Phil Kofer has, has I, mean, I don't know if any of us expected him to be as effective as he's been. He's been fantastic and, and you know, can actually knock down that three-point shot when they leave him on the wing. Uh, MJ Walker had a big game, uh, you know, uh, a few weeks ago down in, in Jamaica. Uh, it's a team that really has uh, kind of embraced that unselfish mentality and, and has been able to feature several heroes through, in different games. And, and it's you know, it's easy to be unselfish and, and kind of buy into the that anybody can be a hero ideal when you're winning. It's hard when you when you've dropped a couple games that, that maybe you shouldn't have. But right now, um, you know, it's it, it's working out really, really well. And, and you know, the team has a pretty good chance to, to go into that Duke game at the end of the month with an undefeated record. And at that point, they're probably in the top 15, maybe in the top 10. And, and it's always been amazing to me uh, about how things work out. You know, Florida State's last basketball game before the football bowl game will be against Southern Mississippi. It's just, yeah, I thought, I just stranger things. And we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, give kudos to the to the women's program and Coach Sue as well because, uh, candidly, they're kind of leading the men's program both in terms of number of games won already and uh, in terms of being higher ranked. No, you're right. Uh, and they've been uh, fantastic as well. Had a big win over Arizona State uh, last weekend, which was a uh, you know, that program that this, that this program is awfully familiar with. Had some pretty memorable NCAA tournament meetings with and a good – uh, early season, I guess, barometer for them to, to kind of see how they stack up. And, and you know, as well, I, I, they're, they're a fun team to watch play as well. Uh, Mr. Kayla Thomas, I think, will probably, uh, when, when her career is said and done, no matter how they, they finish up this year, uh, you know, she'll go down as, as one of the best players to ever play here and, and most unique players to ever play here. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun time to be a Florida State basketball fan. It's a fun time to be a Florida State football fan, too. And, and, and you know, we all know that when, uh, when the football program is hiring a coach from outside for the first time in, in more than 40 years, uh, you know they're going to get the lion's share of the attention, but you know I, I think it's at some point maybe after the bowl game, you know the, a lot of Florida State fans are going to look up and look over at the basketball program and say, hey, you know, there, there, there's some fun stuff here as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat time of year. We'll close by bouncing back over to football, Tim. Do you have any feel for the early signing period is next Wednesday to Friday, the 20th to 22nd, and this is the first time we've done this. So. I've read some reports where schools are expecting all their verbal commitments to sign and others saying they really don't know what to expect. At Florida State, do you have a – I mean, in Willie's case, it's a little different because he's probably trying to hold off a lot of guys and get them to sign later if they're not committed yet. But how many guys is FSU going to sign next week? My guess is that, you know, given that, that Willie Taggart is, is out and, and trying to make up for lost time, uh, he's probably not going to be pushing too many guys. To sign, um, and I, I think it's more about individual players uh, than individual schools. If that makes any sense, I think you know where you're really going to see this is if you're a you know a, a three star guy, a two star guy, or even a you know a low end four star guy. I know we, we kind of I can see Keith rolling his eyes at the star talk right now, but uh, if you're not like the elite of the elite blue chip, I think that's where a lot of schools are going to be leaning on those guys to go ahead and sign and, and get your spot locked up. Uh, and if you're if you are one of those guys, and you see every year stories about you know players left holding the bag at, at the end of the, the signing period, uh, I think it probably behooves you to go ahead and, and get locked up as quick as you can. Uh, I, my 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 question is, if you're you know an elite top level prospect, top five overall player, top ten overall player, which we all know Florida State's in on a handful of those guys every year, nobody's telling you no. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's saying, hey hey five star guy, you have to sign with us on December 20, or we're not going to pursue you. That's not the case. So I don't think it really affects them all that much. Uh, I think it's sort of the the mid range prospects, uh, the the guys who who you know still have plenty of good solid offers can go to Florida State, but but maybe aren't you know the the the, the super blue chip all Americans. I think those are the guys that you're going to see sign uh, on on the, in December and go ahead and, and and lock their lock their spot up and get some security. And that's good for the programs too, or the teams too, because then they know uh, what they have and, and can address their needs going forward for the next few weeks. Tim, thank you as always, sir. You got it, guys. All right. Lucky Tim, he gets to cover signing day twice a year now. 
get the uh, festivities that uh, usually were reserved only for that first Wednesday in February. Now we've stretched it out over uh, a couple of days uh, in late December. I need to uh, remind folks that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to handle all of your power tool needs. You can call them at 580-1200. They're online at ctf.nu. They're in town at 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. And that's all I've got to say about that. Great place to shop for some gifts for the uh, fellers in your life as well. There you go. We'll come back and uh, pontificate uh, for another couple minutes because we have to take things to the top of the hour. We're contractually obligated. So we'll do that right after this. All in all, it's just a brick in the wall. All in all, you're just a Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. KJ, time to put the wraps on this one, and we don't have time really to do justice to it, but uh, your general thoughts about Derwin skipping the bowl game. I don't like it, uh, although I will tell you, uh, last year, I think, was the first time that the issue had really raised its head, and and there were some uh, kids that were really out there that were, were talking about it, and I and I really hated it then. And then all of a sudden, uh, be careful what you say, because then it happens to one of the kids that you're fond of, in my case, Derwin. And I talked to him after the Louisiana-Monroe game and, uh, you know, basically got the feel from him that that was the last time he was going to play in it because it didn't even dawn on me. You know, I was congratulating him on his last home game, and he was basically inferring that was his last game because I hadn't put two and two together quite yet. And now when it happens, one one of your own, and we'll save this uh, topic for another time where we can talk about it in great length, it does change your perspective. I still don't like it, but I guess I'm I'm, I'm beginning to understand it a little better. What concerns me is the fact that if you're going to say don't play in it because the game's meaningless – well, Florida State was below 500 most of this year. So at what point does meaningless become every game in November and all the way back to I've got 15 games worth of tape, and so what if I'm in the middle of my sophomore year? I'm not playing again for a year and a half. And and obviously I come from the perspective I had no potential pro career, so I had made a commitment to play college athletics, and I was going to play in every game that I had made the commitment to. But but I come from a different space than, than they do both in terms of time and in terms of money, and the money has gotten ridiculous. Uh, I mean, Derwin's projection, just put this in perspective, Derwin's projection uh, probably nets him a contract of somewhere between 18 and $22 million. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And all he wants to do is make it to contract number two where he'll get twice as much guaranteed. So when you start throwing numbers like that out there, my goodness, it does change your perspective. I can't fault Derwin at all. I enjoyed seeing him play, and I, I wish him the best. And uh, one, I'll leave you on this note. One of the things, and fans know this, he was as, as passionate about what was going on on the field as anybody. And it goes right down to the Louisiana Monroe game when he's out of the game in the fourth quarter and he's standing up next to Odell cheering his teammates on because he cares that much about it. That's who Derwin is, so uh, we're going to have fun watching him at the next level. He was a unique guy that uh, I think uh, 10, 12, 15 years from now, we may be talking about him in the same vein of the way we talk about um, Warwick Dunn and and uh, those types of kids. Uh, Derek Brooks, he has the potential to be that great. Uh, I would agree. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're going to remain mediocre, I think, but uh, we'll be back next week. Pinnacle of our career, however. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.